The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? Happy motherfucking holidays, you guys. Where did 2021 go? I want to know what a year. What a year. The holidays are my favorite. If you guys follow along with me on Instagram, then you know this. My house was decorated by November 9th. Lights up, trees up, mantles done, holiday music playing. I just love it. And I realized that the reason why I love it is because when I was growing up, I had pretty shitty experiences when it came to the holiday season. And I have been determined as an adult to shift the narrative and to do a little bit of reprogramming and to implement fun, nostalgic memories for my family and I in order to compensate for all of those awful years. December 1st, 2010 was a milestone moment for me. And every holiday season, I reflect on this time because that was the last time that I went to jail. And that was the moment where my entire world changed. And so I decided that for this episode, we're going to do a little time machine moment. We're going to go back to the final days of Alexis's using and kind of reminisce is not the right word, (laughs) reflect on what transpired and how it brought me to where I'm at today. I had this really profound moment and this is an exercise I think everyone should do today. I was in my daughter's room cleaning And I noticed that on her desk, she had this plush star that was a wind-up toy uh, from when I was a baby. And I loved that thing. That was like my comfort toy. And I had written my name on it in pen based off of what the writing looked like. I must have been four or five when I did it. And I just looked at it and I picked it up. I've picked this thing up a million times in my adulthood. It's often something that I just chuck into the bin full of stuffed animals. And I held it for a second. And I think I touched on this before about how, you know, in my healing journey, I've had really um, profound experiences uh, with going back in time and doing reprogramming through both EMDR and hypnotherapy. But with those experiences, I've realized that time is not linear, that like the past, present and future all exists now in this moment. So for an example of that, 
I was working with an incredible healer maybe six or seven months ago. And I realized that I had some deep childhood wounds that still needed to be addressed. And I've, I've talked about these wounds until I was blue in the face so many times, but I felt like they still weren't healed. And through deep meditation and some hypnosis, I went back in time or AKA accessed three and a half year old Alexis, right? I just, I just got access to her. She's always there. She's still existing right now in that moment, right? And so I came to her as present day Alexis and I sat with her through that trauma and through that pain And I helped her process it. And the relief I felt by doing that healing was profound. I mean, that shift was just amazing. And so no longer did I feel the deep emotional pull that I had when I would, you know, be triggered or have said memory come up. I really, I allowed that little girl who very much so still exists today in this adult woman's body, the opportunity to heal. And so I'm holding this star in my hands and I'm, I'm feeling it. It's, it's soft. Unfortunately, the wind up part doesn't work anymore, but I can still hear its song clear as day in my head. And I'm feeling the stitching and I, took a deep breath and I just realized that I've never taken a moment to say thank you to that little girl who had to survive so much in order to become the woman that she is today. How many of us have done that? Really sat in stillness and been okay with being with emotionally, being with ourselves and holding space for all of the challenges that we've experienced in our lives that brought us to where we were today. And I just, I had this moment, this deep moment of like reverence and gratitude for little Alexis right? And pre-teen Alexis and teenager Alexis and Alexis in her early 20s and mid-20s and now in her early 30s. I can't believe I'm 30, you guys. This year was wild. Turning 30, wow. What I, I was so nervous. I hated being 29. I hated being 29. I was like, this is a shit year. And it was. 2020 fucking sucked. <laughs> also, I am a Sagittarius rising. And for the last year and a half, Sagittarius, if you have any Sagittarius placements, you've been going through it, but specifically Sagittarius rising, we have been going through a huge shift. And now that I am in my 30s, I just feel so good. (laughs) I just feel so at home with my body. That really was the theme, as you guys know, for me in this last year, which was welcome home really getting clear on who I am, what I desire, where I want to go, 
what I want to do, how I want to show up in the world, how I want to show up for myself, Ugh, getting so clear on all of that. And it feels so good to finally feel clear because I feel like your 20s, you guys, many of you have watched the evolution of Alexis, but what, you know, what you've really watched, yeah, it was the unfolding and the figuring out of like who I am. I'm so grateful for all of the work that I've done over the last decade, knowing that there's more to come, of course, but yeah, the unfolding. And so as I reflect back on December 1st, 2010 to December 1st, 2021. Wow. 11 years. I can go into this state of so much gratitude, so much gratitude that the Alexis, and I can still, I can still feel her. She's still there. The Alexis that was being arrested on December 1st, 2010. I'm so grateful that she survived. I'm so grateful that she accepted help. I'm so grateful that she was ready for change. She didn't know what she was about to get herself into. No fucking way. I had no idea what was coming, but it would end up being, yeah, some of the hardest stuff I've ever had to go through. But the gifts, gifts. Oh my God. I'm so grateful for you. And I can feel my heart space opening as I'm saying this, as I'm tapping into her and feeling the waves of emotions that she was going through, the fear, right? The shame, the embarrassment. It was crippling. And yet she was so strong and resilient and she made it through it. If you're a fan of romantic movies and love films with beautiful cinematography, then you're going to love Redeeming Love in theaters January 2022. Based on the international best-selling novel by Francine Rivers, the movie takes place during the California gold rush of 1850 and follows the life of Angel, who was the most notoriously sought-after woman in the Sierra Nevada foothills town of paradise. Right as she was about to give up on finding freedom, Angel meets Michael and encounters a love that's unlike anything she's ever experienced. But the shame of her past causes Angel to run away from the very thing she's always wanted. As Michael sets out to find her, Angel discovers that there is no brokenness that love can't heal. Redeeming Love featuring Abigail Cohen, Tom Lewis, Nina Dobrev, Eric Dane, and Fomka Jansen is rated PG-13 and premieres January 21st in theaters nationwide. So bring a friend or even your significant other to see Redeeming Love. For more information or to find tickets at a theater near you, visit redeeminglove.com. That's redeeminglove.com. 
In the early 2000s, millions of households across the world tuned in to watch contestants battle for the last rose or to be the final survivor on the island. Reality TV was beginning to dominate the airwaves and every show needed to be bigger, flashier, and more scandalous than the last. But in the case of one infamous dating show, the real drama was happening off screen and it would shape the future of reality TV. The reality TV series There's Something About Miriam seemed like a pretty standard dating competition. Six young men vied for the affection of Miriam Riviera, a beautiful model from Mexico. But when Miriam revealed that she was a trans woman during the show's finale, the on-screen drama sparked an international uproar about gender, sexuality, and whether reality television had finally gone too far. Wondery's new podcast, miniseries, Harsh Reality, The Story of Miriam Riviera, reveals what happened behind the scenes of this infamous TV show and how a multi-million dollar lawsuit and media fallout impacted the lives of Miriam and the contestants and changed the rules of reality television forever. Follow Harsh Reality, the story of Miriam Riviera on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Apple Podcast or on the Wondery app. I'm Anisha Ramakrishna, and I'm an Indian entrepreneur and TV personality with big dick energy. You may know me from Bravo TV's Family Karma and, of course, social media. I grew up in a very conservative Indian family, but I have always forged my own path and live life on my own terms. I recently left my successful career in New York City and my long-term relationship to pursue my own fashion business. I'm single in my mid-30s and I live with my parents. I'm currently cringing and I know you are too. Join me as I spill the chai on my own cringeworthy personal life experiences every Thursday, anywhere you listen to podcasts. So back up a little bit. I go to jail and I kick cold turkey that first time. And I had no idea what to expect because prior to going to jail for that sentence of first degree burglary, residential burglary, I go to jail and I don't know what to expect. I was scared to fucking death, but I don't know what to expect with regards to my opiate withdrawal because I'd never withdrawn for opiates before. I had pretty much been using for years and years straight. And occasionally I would try to stop, but I was always unsuccessful, right? (laughs) I had every intention. I knew it was bad for me, but I couldn't stop. And that withdrawal was so bad. It was awful. The next one would be way worse. Little did I know. I had began, I, so I knew I was going to surrender. I believe it was June 22nd, 2010. I knew I was going to surrender. So I really, I pulled back on my use a lot. So that way, when I did have to kick drugs, it wouldn't be so bad. And I was, I guess I was trying to prepare myself. I, there was no preparation for what I was about to endure. But anyhow, I go into jail, you know, it's awful in a cell by myself, 23 out of 24 hours a day, one hour out, no human contact. It's literally torture, but I made it out and I get out and I have every intention of staying sober. 
And of course I couldn't, right? I couldn't stay sober because the drugs were never the problem, honey. You were the problem. Your trauma was the problem. Your pain was the problem. Your unwillingness to be checked into your reality was the problem. And so I went right back to using. And it was only a matter of time before my disease progressed even worse because that's what happens when we've incurred more trauma, right? I just I just went to jail. It's a traumatic experience. Being in protective custody broke me, right? I came out and I I was God, I was clearly experiencing PTSD symptoms, but nobody knew because I was hiding it with drugs and masking it with drugs. But yeah, I was um, in a lot of pain and the drugs were a temporary solution to that. So my addiction got uh, substantially worse than I ever thought that it possibly could. I went from primarily smoking heroin. I, I had shot up occasionally to primarily shooting up heroin and also doing cocaine. I mean, I was a garbage can for drugs. When I got out... I didn't know, we didn't hear yet if the show was going to get picked back up for another season. And I think that subconsciously, I didn't want it to. (laughs) But consciously, I did because I wanted the money to get more drugs. I mean, that's where all of my money from that show went was drugs. Nothing to show for it at the end. And so I get out. And my mom had to move apartments for me because I had left Tess. We were living together with enough rent to cover for the time that I was in jail. And of course, you know, she was also an active addiction. I don't know why I thought she would pay rent with that money. (laughs) She did not. We got evicted. My mom moved me into a tiny little studio apartment in Burbank. And within a couple of weeks because my addiction was so bad, I could not afford to pay my utilities anymore. So basically it became a place to sleep. I had no electric and no gas and I was living off of cereal and Top Ramen and uh, warm beer because I didn't have a refrigerator. And the cereal I was using, soy milk... (laughs) that, you know, the kind that you don't have to like refrigerate. It was disgusting. It was gross. You probably did have to refrigerate it after opening. I'm sure that that was the case. But the shelf, you know, the ones that were on the shelf, I guess I just thought that it would be fine. And um, yeah, that's what I was pretty much living off of. It was absolutely disgusting. And then just like rolls and rolls of foil so I could smoke cracker heroin and spoons, of course, to shoot up and cook my my dope. And it was bad. I was right back to like panhandling, essentially selling my body for drugs and or alcohol and or experiences and or gas money, uh, whatever it might be. And yeah, I mean, talk about demoralization. Like, man, I was, I was so broken in those final months of my using. And 
while all of those experiences were horrible, the worst was those last couple of weeks. So it's Thanksgiving. We're approaching Thanksgiving. My family knows that I'm using, but like they can't do anything about it. And I'm hiding it as good as I possibly can. But my life is already a mess. And I, I think that in our family system, the reason I stayed sick so long is because being the black sheep of the family, um, my chaos allowed them to continue in their chaos. So they got to point their fingers at me. Um, and so they would continue to enable me. So that way I would eventually, of course, fuck up. <laughs> and after they'd help me fuck up. And then, you know, I would go back to becoming the problem child that everyone got to try to, you know, fix all the time. And and it was just, it was just so chaotic. But my little sister and I were planning on going to my stepmom's house for Thanksgiving. I actually haven't talked about Amy much on the podcast. And I think it's, I think this is important. Dr. Pat Allen I asked her once, I, I did two years of training with Dr. Pat Allen and I asked her one day in the weekend seminar, this was after I had already gone to school for counseling and I was wanting to learn about, you know, nonviolent communication and things like that. So I'm in one of her seminars and I said, what do you think, what do you think is the reason why some people die in their addiction and some people don't. And she said, I think one of the biggest things is that somebody who's in active addiction has kind of like a guardian angel, whether that be like a teacher, a softball coach, one parent or an extended family member, somebody that is in their corner that cares about them, that's rooting for them, that wants them to succeed, right? And having that person in your life can really increase the chance of survival. And in a lot of ways, Amy was that person for me. So my dad had an affair with Amy. She didn't know that my dad was still married. He lied. My dad used to be a pathological liar. He lied and said that my mom and him were separated when they were very much so still married. He was having an affair with Amy, who at the time was 24. I think he was probably like 46 at the time. And uh, she was this young, beautiful PA on the set of Friends. And I was three and a half. And Gabby was maybe 18, 19 months old. And um, Amy became a big part of our lives. You know, my parents ended up separating. My dad did end up marrying Amy and they stayed together for five years despite his alcoholism and abuse. But what happened was uh, my mom and Amy became good friends and Amy stayed kind of in the role of mom, despite the fact that like my dad pretty much lost his weekends with us because of his addiction. And Amy really stepped up to the plate for us. And so I still call her mom to this day. Her kids, I view them as, you know, family. And even though they separated and we stayed close, but eventually she went on to marry her current partner and they've been married for, I don't even know, maybe 16 years now. And yeah, so 
I decided to go to Amy's house for the holidays because she was always so warm and inviting and her and her home felt so safe, you know. She didn't have a problem with drinking. She she felt like home. You know those people in your life that just feel so good to be around. But I couldn't I couldn't stay sober. And over the course of that three days that I was staying for Thanksgiving, I blacked out. I thought I had the flu, but I didn't. I was in withdrawal because I smoked all of the heroin that I had, of course, on the first day there. So I was physically ill. I was drinking to try to suppress how ill I was, which was just making me sicker. But I had no idea what was going on. Basically, I ruined the entire holiday. I mean, predictable for a drug addict, right? Oh, the holidays and active addiction are fucking god awful. <laughs> god awful. And if you want more holiday stories and you haven't heard the episode a couple back with my mom, I highly suggest. First of all, we reminisce on our family chaos, but then we also answer your questions about how to navigate the holidays with difficult uh, family members. It's a great episode. Anyhow, the amount of shame that I felt leaving Amy's house, it broke me. Like, I knew I was a piece of shit, right? (laughs) I was so sick, mentally and physically. Gabby drove me home to my apartment in Burbank, and I had nothing. I had nothing. I had burned every bridge, and I... I was left with nothing. That next week was like one of the coldest weeks in LA ever, swear to God. And it wasn't just because I was kicking dope and temperature is like so sensitive when you're kicking dope. It was just because I couldn't afford heat and it was really cold and I was miserable. So I, of course, like scroll through my phone and find an old high school friend who I know was doing drugs and linked up with him, made him believe that like he actually had a chance with me (laughs) and went to go score some drugs. Those drugs lasted me a couple of days, but at this point I was becoming like malnourished and couldn't hold down food because I was just so sick. I, I don't know what was going on with me, but I was physically throwing up every time that I used Uh, which is something that had never happened to me before. My body was pretty much shutting down because of malnutrition and the drugs that I had been using and the way in which I'd been using them, I'm sure. It's time to seek out pleasure in every area of your life. From how you start your mornings to how you wind down at night and everything in between, you deserve to enjoy it all. Dipsy Stories wants you to find joy and confidence in and out of the bedroom. If you missed your chance at a summer fling, why not make it a freaky fall? If you're interested in exploring things like threesomes, toy play, or edging, but not sure where to start, Dipsy Stories can help you explore 
all of your desires. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. 90% of women use mental framing to get turned on, but most of the innovation and investments in female pleasure have been focused on the body rather than the brain. Dipsy's stories are sex positive, inclusive, and are created with women in mind. Each Dipsy audio story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios so you feel like you're right there in the middle of the action. They release new content every week so there's always more to explore no matter who you're into or what turns you on. And if you need to wind down, Dipsy also has more content for you. Check out their wellness sessions, sensual bedtime stories, and audio soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash reality. That's 30 days off full access for free when you go to Dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash reality, dipsystories.com slash reality. So fast forward the night before my arrest, this whole time, mind you, I had not been showing up to probation because I knew I couldn't pass a drug test. So, and I couldn't be bothered, <laughs> right? Like I just couldn't be bothered to show up and... Yeah, I've like my I was too busy trying to like score drugs, get high, party, escape my reality. So anyway, the night before my arrest, we go to a movie. He takes me to a Johnny Rockets. I try to eat. I'm unsuccessful. And he left me with 0.08. That's when they caught me. That's how much heroin I had on me. Not even a 0.1. So if you know, 10 is a gram, 0.1 is like nothing. I had not even that, I had 0.08 grams of heroin. And I said, hey, can you just drop me off at my mom's house? I don't have heat or electricity and I um, I can't stay at my place tonight. And so he dropped me off at my mom's house and I thought, oh, this point, this 0.08 will get me by in the morning until I can, you know, go back to panhandling and wait until my drug dealer opens at 10. <laughs> go score some heroin. Anyway, I go to my mom's house and that night I had this moment in the bathroom as I was taking a hit. Of course, I couldn't even wait until the morning. I was like, I'm going to need this to get by in the morning, but I need to get high right now too. And I just had this like moment where I saw myself in the mirror and I was like, dude, you're fucked up. You can't keep doing this. You're going to die. You're going to fucking die. And I remember kind of breaking momentarily. I didn't have much emotion back then, but I, I had this break and I realized that I was just spiritually and, and I was bankrupt of everything at that point, but I had this spiritual breakdown, this moment where I was like, you are destined for better things and you don't have to live like this anymore. And I wanted help, but I didn't know how to ask for help. And then who knew, like help would come the next morning in the form of a SWAT team at six in the morning at my mother's house for the second time, traumatizing her once again <laughs> because I could not keep my shit together. And 
I thought that that was the worst day of my life. I thought it was the worst day. I thought this is it. Just kill me now. I don't care. I don't want to go on anymore. And it would end up being the best thing that ever happened to me. Ugh. I wish you guys could feel the feelings that I have inside of my body right now. It's like this overwhelming gratitude for that moment. That moment that I thought was like the most awful thing in the whole world was the best thing that ever happened to me. And that would continue to become a theme for me over the next decade. And now while that's still true, there's a shift that happened because I realized in the last couple of years that I've, I've become addicted to suffering. You know, when I started the Life Reset course, it really was a compilation of all of my work. The biggest part was looking at our subconscious belief systems, right? I have done so much unpacking when it comes to my subconscious programming, my beliefs about, uh, and if you don't know what that is, I'll give you a, a brief background right now. Since we have the time, this is a solo episode after all. So we have our subconscious mind and our conscious mind and our unconscious mind. And so our subconscious mind is formed, some say in the first 14 years, I personally think in the first seven years of life. And it is a product of the environment in which we grew up in. The things that we saw, heard, and experienced, right? And as a result of what we saw, heard, and experienced, belief systems formed, right? So if you were spanked a lot as a child, maybe you felt like your body was not your own. If you were told that you were stupid a lot, maybe you grew up believing that you were incompetent and stupid. You get what I'm, you catch my drift, right? And these things eventually become the chronic thoughts that we have in our heads all day long that most of us don't even realize that we're having. And they express ourselves in the way that we think and the way that we talk and the way that we experience life until we become conscious of them. And then we can reprogram them and do something about it. What I realized was that in the last decade of my, well, really in the totality of my life, I incarnated, came into this planet. I'm not saying that four-year-old me was subconsciously asking to be abused in the way that she was. Not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is as a result of my environment being so chaotic, I became addicted to suffering because when I suffered, sometimes I was rewarded because you get rewarded with negative attention just the same way that you do with positive attention in your brain. Um, You still get hits of dopamine. And I realized that a major pattern for me in my life was becoming addicted to suffering. And so what was I calling into my life? More and more suffering. And of course, with each experience, there's always going to be hardships in our lives, right? But suffering, suffering does not have to be a part of that. Or it can just be like a temporary part of it. And I just realized that I was attracting and creating more and more suffering because that's what felt comfortable to me. 
And I know that's so fucked up to say, but I just wonder how many of us are suffering and we don't even realize that we're creating our suffering. I know for me that I literally was like physically addicted to my suffering. And so I was experiencing more and more of it. And so with each hardship that I've experienced in sobriety, of course, there's been an opportunity for growth and I have grown and all of those experiences did need to happen. The shift that I'm experiencing right now, though, as a result of unpacking those subconscious belief systems that happened as a result of my suffering is that I'm becoming more conscious and aware of that. And so instead of doing things that are self-sabotaging behaviors or getting caught up in my suffering, I get to instead become really mindful of where my thoughts are going, of where my mind is at. And I, as a result, get to be more present and experience less suffering. Anyway, that was a sidebar. The point is that as I reflect on the last 11 years, I realized that for a long time, I had a lot of resentment and anger and shame towards the Alexis who was 19 years old, addicted to heroin and going to jail, who would eventually become a twice convicted felon. And the shift that's occurred for me now as a result of doing the work that I have, which is all laid out for you in the Life Reset course if you ever want to explore it, that shift is so profound. And I spent too many years hating myself around the holidays because of this stuff that was just like festering under the ground and I couldn't pinpoint where the anger was coming from or where the pain was coming from. And now I know. And now I get to say, thank you. Thank you for surviving. Thank you for showing up for yourself. Thank you for choosing sobriety. Thank you for getting into action. Thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. I care for you. You always have been and always will be loved. You are amazing. You are stronger than you know. You are wise. All of those things are true today and they were true 11 years ago. So moving into this new year, I ask you guys this. What areas of your life is your subconscious mind at the steering wheel driving you crazy? (laughs) What is that monkey mind of yours saying to you all day long? How is that playing out in your life? What are the patterns behaviors, relationship patterns that keep presenting themselves? And are you ready and willing to do something about them? I just know that this work has changed my life in so many ways. The amount of peace that I feel right now in my body and my nervous system and my heart and my mind. Ugh. 
that's the greatest gift. That right there. That was all that I wanted for Christmas 11 years ago. And it's all that I want for Christmas today is to continue to feel this, this peace, this gratitude, this love. And we all are worthy of it and we all deserve it and we're all capable of attaining it. It's available to you. It's not easy, but with the right support of a therapist or, you know, through my coaching program or through, you know, there's plenty of resources on how to start this work. I know that you will experience profound shifts the same ones that I have. I think, you know, so many of you in my DMs feel like, oh, I can never get to where you're at. And yes, you absolutely can. You absolutely can. I feel like we're really all being called to do this work. And that's just my opinion, of course. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. But I feel like if COVID and the hardships that we've gone through globally over the last decade have shown us anything. It's that it's time to heal. And I don't know what that healing looks like for you. I'm just here to share my healing journey with you all. Hopefully something resonated with you today. And you have a takeaway, a moment where you went, oh, yes, that rings so true. That spoke, spoke to my soul. So with that, I love you all. We have an incredible month coming up. Your support of the show by sharing it with family and friends, episodes that resonate really means so much to me. I wish you all an incredible holiday season and next year is going to be a good one. I just have a feeling. All right, until next week. This week's affirmation is, I am exactly where I am supposed to be at this point in my life. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, follow along with us, leave a review. It means so much to me. There are new episodes of Recovering From Reality every Monday, and you can follow me on social at Recovering From Reality or visit my website, recoveringfromreality.com. 